Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Today is Trinity Sunday. It is the first Sunday after Pentecost, and I want to preach on the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's start with Scripture. We'll be in Matthew 28 today. Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, the, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus, before his ascension. He wants to meet with the 11 disciples. Remember, there were 12. Judas betrayed Jesus, got paid off for that betrayal, felt bad about it, tried to give the money back, tragically ended his life. At this point, only 11 disciples. But Jesus wanted to meet with them where God always wants to meet with the people of God, and that is on a mountaintop. And so, yes, if you come to the summer Bible study, we'll be talking about God meeting with God's people on mountaintops. We'll actually be revisiting this passage. But God likes to meet God's people in the mountains. So Jesus told his disciples, I got some, something important to talk to you about. Meet me up on the mountain. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. I love this verse because it talks about the mixture of both worship and doubt. People had traveled and lived and ministered with Jesus. They were with Jesus like face to face three years and still some of them doubted. Now they worshiped Jesus. Notice it says that they worshiped Jesus because they believed that Jesus was not just a human being, but Jesus was the embodiment of Israel's God. This was God in human form. And so they worshiped and in the midst of their worshiping, yes, there was doubting because this is the normal faith life. Life of faith is a mixture of, of worship and doubt. Uh, to wrestle with our doubts is how, in fact, we grow in the faith. So we don't, we don't hide our doubt. We don't disguise our doubt. We don't run from our doubt. We, we look it full in the face. We embrace it and we wrestle with those questions. Because maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you accept this Christian faith, but there's parts of it that you're still wrestling with and you have questions and there's some uncertainty. I, I say don't run away from that uncertainty, but wrestle with it. It was the, the, the late now, now the late Tim Keller, who said every doubt is based on an alternative belief. See, doubt's not the enemy of faith. Distrust is the enemy of faith. You can worship God and trust God and you can wrestle with those doubts because every doubt is simply a belief in something else. So we get to wrestle with doubts just like these apostles, these disciples did on the mountain. Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as he gathered with his 11 before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, gave them this commission, gave them this mission. And Jesus didn't say, uh, go into all the world and get people saved. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and get people to invite me into their hearts. He, he didn't say, go into all the world and make good citizens of the empire. No, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples in the first century world weren't necessarily classroom students. So when you hear the word disciple, don't think of students in a classroom learning God facts. A better way to understand disciples is to think of it in terms of an apprentice. Right? This is what disciples were. Followers and disciples of Jesus were apprentices learning a new way of living, a new way of being human as they were worshiping Jesus and following Jesus, believing with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. You know about apprentices, right? We, we, we still have apprentices these days. So for example, if you want to become an electrician, you can go to a trade school, you can get a two-year degree, you can get a four-year degree, or you can learn on the job with an electrician by becoming an electrician apprentice. And you don't have to pay them, they actually pay you. You get paid while you're learning because you just work side by side with an electrician you watch what that electrician does and, and, and you learn all the skills. You know, for example, like you always turn that power off at the breaker box, always turn that off. I mean, 110 won't kill you, but trust me, right? I'm no electrician, but I, you always wanna shut that breaker off before you start working on stuff. So you work step-by-step, side-by-side with an electrician and you are an electrician apprentice. You're an electrician disciple. And so Jesus is calling us as the church to go and make apprentices of Jesus, that people can learn to walk in the ways of Jesus. So Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded. Here, Jesus gives God the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The shorthand term for this, the God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is what we call the Trinity. And when we say that God is a Trinity, God is a holy Trinity, we're saying that God is one in God's being and God's essence and God's nature. But that one God, that oneness, that, that unity, that one essence in being is revealed to us in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the members of the Trinity are not different parts of God. Rather, the Father is God, the Son, that's Jesus, is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. 
each one of them fully God. But there's not only unity, there's also diversity. And this is where it gets a little confusing because the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. It wasn't the Holy Spirit who became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. No, it was the Holy Spirit who was, who was raising Christ up from the dead. So there is one God, we worship one God. There is one divine essence in nature revealed in these distinct persons. We could sum it up like this. The God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one indivisible divine being in three distinct persons. So the members of the Trinity, they're indivisible. So where the Holy Spirit is at work, the Father and the Son are present. Where the Son is at work, the Father and Spirit are present. You cannot divide the members of the Trinity, but there is a distinctiveness in the work that each of them do. Now, with this understanding of who God is, I want to give you a warning. The Trinity is not a mathematical problem to be solved. How many of you struggled with math in school? How many of you students are still kind of struggling? Like, I, I need a tutor, right? That, that, that was certainly me, right? English, literature, social studies, language, arts, PE, I could do all right. Math, I struggled a little bit. So I want, to, I, want to, I want you to have this warning that when we think about the Trinity, because I, I use numbers, one divine essence, three persons. How is three equaling one? This is not why the Trinity has been given to us. It's not a mathematical problem to be solved. Rather, the Trinity is a mystery to be explored. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to help you enter into this mystery given to us for exploration. And we've been given the invitation to explore the Trinity ever since our baptism. Because Jesus says, when we go and we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so here at Word of Life, when we baptize folks, we, we say those words, right? I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, hold your nose, here we go, right? We, we use that language, but I think that Jesus is indicating something deeper than just the manner by which we baptize people. I think it's, it's right to understand Jesus is saying that as we are baptizing people, we are baptizing people into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, when people are baptized, they are being introduced into the very life of God. They're, they're being introduced into this Holy Trinity who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this is, these are, these are names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are names because the, the revelation of God here is that God has a name, not just a number, right? We don't, we don't just number the members of the Trinity. Rather, they, they have names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we normally give numbers to things. We give names to people. That's kind of the way it works. Because there's something about a name that denotes personhood. Now, I know people, they name boats, 
right? And they, they name other things. I know people do that. But whenever I think people give a name to an inanimate object, they're kind of humanizing that. Right? And I know what you're, I know, I know you cat people and you dog people. And like, well, we name our pets too. And I understand that because you can have a relationship with your dog. And I guess you cat people have some kind of relationship with your cat. I don't know how that works. But primarily, we name people, right? It's one of the joys of being a parent. You get to name your children, you give them a name, right? Because names, communicate to us the capacity for relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. It would be easier sometimes just to give your kids a number, right? <laughs> number three, go get my phone out of the kitchen, right? All three of my kids are here, right here on the front row. And, and there is times that I get their names confused. Any parents in the house, you get the names confused. Oh, well, uh, t- uh, d- uh, Number two, I, I, I know you have a name. You live here. I'll find out what that name is. Just go do what I need you to do. One of the joys, though, of a parent in naming your children is it's bestowing upon them this, this dignity and acknowledging a capacity for a real relationship. That's what, that's what names do. Have you ever noticed in the Star Wars universe that the droids don't get personal names, right? Now the, sorry for those of you who are not Star, Star Wars people, maybe you're Trekkie, maybe you're in the Marvel universe, maybe you just don't care. Sorry, just for a little bit here. Uh, but the, the, the droids, you know, C-3PO, R2-D2, BB-8, they don't have personal names, right? Luke and Leia and Han and Poe and Finn and Rey. It's the people in Star Wars that get a name. The droids, you know, they, they have this alphanumeric labeling. It's sort of a name, but it's not a personal name. Now, I, and I know some of you real hardcore Star Wars nerds are gonna be like, but you can have a relationship with a droid. I mean, Poe and Ray love BB-8. I know, we all love BB-8. But you can't have a relationship with an inanimate object the same way you have a relationship with a person. Those are two different things. And so in Star Wars and in our families, we give names to people. And this, I think, is what is important about what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28, that we baptize people not into the number, but into the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not a series of numbers to be counted, quantified, or programmed. Because God is personable, knowable, relatable, because God has a name. The mystery of the Trinity is also how we understand that God is love. This is what is most foundational about the God that we worship. God and God's very essence and being is love. But it's the Trinity that helps us to see that God is love within God's own being without being selfish. God is not love simply for love's sake. God is not love in that God loves God's own self. Rather, when we say that God is love, what we're saying is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who from before creation have been loving one another that it's, it's not a stagnant kind of love. It's a dynamic love. It's love in action. It's love in relationship. 
and this understanding of the Trinity, because people will say, well, I, I, I open up my Bible and I look for the word Trinity. It's not there. The understanding of the Trinity is a gift to us from the early church. It took the church hundreds of years of working with scripture to get the language down just right to understand that God is truly one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if you, if you have a problem with the Trinity, I just say, take it up with Jesus. Because it's Jesus who got us started down this road that ended up with the Trinity. Because Jesus called God Father. First century G Jewish people would, would speak of God as the Lord, Adonai. But Jesus spoke of God in very intimate terms. Jesus called God Father. He prayed to his Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father. So Jesus is revealing the Father to us. But here's now we're getting into trouble. Jesus starts walking around doing things and saying things as if he is God. Jesus goes so far as to say, I and the Father are one. So Jesus is calling God Father, but then doing God stuff. And, you, and he's not only claiming to be God, but Jesus is also forecasting the spirit who is to come and do God things. And it was the early church in following Jesus that saw this diversity and spent hundreds of years trying to figure out how this works. Now the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this is the name of God but it's the spirit that's a little bit mysterious, right? Because we have imagination about what a father is like. I say father, there's something that comes to mind. You can imagine a father and you can imagine a son and you can see the relationship between the two. But the Holy Spirit is a, is a little mysterious. The Holy Spirit is a little harder to, to wrap our minds and our imaginations around. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons, I think, is because the Holy Spirit has come. We, it was Pentecost Sunday. Last Sunday, we marked the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit has come to us and the Holy Spirit is with us and in us and energizing us. But the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus. This is what Jesus said. John chapter 16, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own, but will speak whatever he hears and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think this is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. I think it's the primary work of the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus. It's the primary work of the Holy Spirit to direct our attention to Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit to form us into the image of Jesus, that we could be true apprentices and disciples, that we could become like Jesus by the work of the Spirit. So in that sense, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit takes a bit of a backseat position in the Trinity, right? Because Jesus gets all the attention. That's why we talk about Jesus all the time. Within the Trinity, all the attention, a lot of the attention, most of the attention goes to Jesus. And here's why. 
the Father sent the Son that we might know what God is like. The Father sends the Son that we might know the heart of the Father, the character of the Father. So if you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. That's the Father who sent his Son. And through the Son, the Father pours out the Spirit upon the church and throughout the world. And when the Spirit comes, the Spirit glorifies Jesus. So obviously it's Jesus who gets a lot of the attention, not to say that God isn't Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I think it's the, it's the Father sending Jesus. It's the Spirit glorifying Jesus that if they were on a stage at the end of a play, it's like the Father and the Spirit are kind of pushing Jesus to the front. He gets all the attention. And because of that, sometimes we lose sight of this mysterious member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And that's not to say that the Holy Spirit isn't fully God because the Spirit is. There's one way of understanding the Trinity. It's a, it's a very ancient way of understanding the Trinity to think of God the Father as the lover, as the Son, as the beloved, the one who's receiving the love, and that the Holy Spirit is the bond of love between the two. Very common understanding of the Trinity. My only little critique of that is again, it makes the spirit a little bit more mysterious and it almost makes the spirit sound less than the father and the son. But the spirit is indeed fully God. The spirit's not just power that emanates from God, right? The, the spirit is not just like the force in the Star Wars universe. The Holy Spirit is God in person. Basil the Great was a fourth century Christian leader, writer, a church father. And it was in the fourth century when the church really nailed down this language of the Trinity. Uh, today on Trinity Sunday, we're going to confess our Christian faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. That was a fourth century creed. And in that time, they were really focusing on the language of Jesus, how Jesus is not just a human being, but fully God. But it was Basil the Great who really championed the full divinity of the Holy Spirit. And so Basil in his little book on the Holy Spirit, he says that you can see the kinship of the Spirit with the Son and the Father because the Spirit is given a name. Because God is not numbered or ranked. It's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not in the first, the second, and the third. Basil argues because God is not numbered, but God is named. And the Holy Spirit is not just a title, but a name of this mysterious member of the Trinity. We can see his full divinity and participation in the life of the Trinity. So yes, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But let's not lose sight of the Spirit because it's the Spirit who is the agent of God on the earth. It's the Spirit who's making Jesus known to us. Let's go back to the, the words of Jesus, Matthew 28, verse 19. Listen to the words of Jesus again. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Jesus is with us always. The last words of John Wesley, that great pioneer of the faith, his last words were, best of all, God is with us. If we know and experience that God is with us, we can almost tackle any, any obstacle in front of us. But Jesus promises to be with us and scripture bears witness to that. The sacrament of communion bears witness to that. But I think it's God, the Holy Spirit. I think it's the Holy Spirit is how Jesus is with us to the end of the age. It's, it's the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit who is with us. And so you might be asking, okay, I, I, I get, I, I'm getting a clearer picture of this Trinity, but really, what does this have to do with me? All right, because maybe you're saying, I'm an apprentice of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been baptized or I'm gonna get baptized soon. I'm following Jesus. I'm his apprentice. What does this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit really have to do with me? Well, I like to think of it like this. We were created in the image of God. And so if God is a holy community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then guess what? That means those of us creatures who bear that image, we are created for one another. The God who is a holy community creates us in God's image. And so we are to be people for not just ourselves, but for a community. We are people who exist for others. Now, all the extroverts in the room were like, woohoo, more people. You introverts in here are like, eh, again with the community. But this is who we are. This is who we are. Now, I, at my core, I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert who loves people. I'm an introvert who is called to be a pastor. And pastors are shepherds and we're with people. And I love people. I love you. I love spending time with you. But y'all wear me out most of the time. I, I love being with God's people. This is true. But being an introvert, it does kind of wear me out. And so I have this kind of tendency to do life as a solo project, right? Self-sufficiency is my besetting sin. And so I just, I'm, gonna, I'm coming full confession mode here. When I go to the grocery store, right? When I go to the grocery store, I don't know how you do grocery shopping. Maybe you don't do grocery shopping. God bless you. <laughs> For those of us who do grocery shopping, when I do grocery shopping, I get my list. Sometimes I rewrite the list or at least in my head, I rearrange the list so I can get into that grocery store, make one sweeping loop around, check out and get out right? That's my goal. The problem with that is you folks are at the grocery store too. <laughs> I, now this is confession mode, right? I often wear a hat when I'm at the grocery store. I pull that brim low. Oh, they don't recognize me. And I'm pushing my shopping cart. And again, I don't like backtracking. I know it's back and forth business. One sweeping loop. If you've got a zigzag in the aisles, that's fine. One sweeping loop and get out. And then I turn around one aisle, I turn, and there you are. <laughs> Confession time. There are times I turn that cart around and go the other way. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I, I'm not advocating for it. I have this tendency that wants to run away from people. 
but that's not who I am. That's not me created in the image of God because I'm created for you and you're created for me. Because we worship the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what that communicates to us is we were created for one another. I can't do life on my own, neither can you. In the morning before prayer, I make a couple of confessions. And one of them is a confession because I fight against this tendency of of self-sufficiency. So before prayer, I make this one confession among many. I take a deep breath, exhale, and just right out loud, I say, I am a dependent creature. I can't do life on my own. I need other people. Now, I confess that every morning because, well, every morning I'm confessing, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I I recognize that in me. So I make that a habit. Why do I do that? I make that a habit because the God that I worship, I was baptized by the church, by a community, into a community. And as I reflect on the mystery of the Trinity, what I see is a holy community. And I recognize that I'm made for other people. Like I can't exist on my own. I can't do life on my own. I have to do life in such a way that I trust other people. I have to do, if I'm driving down the belt highway, defying death, I have to trust that the person in the other lane is not gonna crash into my car. Right When I order a hamburger at Five Guys, I got to make sure they're not doing, you know, nasty stuff to my hamburger back there when they're cooking it. I I literally can't do life on my own. I need other people. I need to trust relationship with other people. But this is who I am as a human being created in the image of God when I acknowledge that I'm made for others. I can't do life on my own and neither can you. And we know this because we worship the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And on Trinity Sunday, before we come to the table of the Lord, I want us to confess our Christian faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. Now it's our habit here at Word of Life. When we come to the table, we make two confessions. We make a confession of faith. We make a confession of sin. And normally what we do here is we will confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. But on Trinity Sunday, I want us to confess our faith using the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed in one sense is older than the version of the Apostles' Creed that we use. The Nicene Creed, it was originally ratified in 325 AD. And then there's some slight edits in 381. But by 381, it was settled. And one of the beautiful things about the Nicene Creed is this is what the majority of Christians around the world believe and agree on. It's the, it's the Nicene Creed that in part unifies us as Christian people. And so before we come to communion, we're gonna stand in just a moment and we'll recite the words of this creed. And it'll sound a little different um, because the Nicene Creed is like an expanded version of the Apostles' Creed. So there's just sort of extra stuff in it. Uh, this usually trips me up. We, the Nicene Creed will say, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. The Apostles' Creed says he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The inglory is added. So there's extra parts. The other thing I wanted to mention about the Nicene Creed is there's a line in here about the church. 
And what it says is that we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. These are the four historic markers of the church, that we are one, there is one church. I know there's different buildings, there's different denominations. We disagree on some parts of doctrine, but there really is one church unified by God's spirit. And it's a holy church, one holy. We're holy in the sense that we are set apart to be God's alternative society in the world. Then the two words that sometimes trip people up, one holy Catholic, and this is lowercase c, people ask because when we recite the Apostles' Creed, that word Catholic's in there. It's lowercase c. The word Catholic means universal. It means global. It means all of the baptized, all of the followers of Jesus around the world. We are one universal Catholic church. And then the last marker there is apostolic. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. By apostolic, we mean that we belong to the same church that the apostles belong to, right? It's the, the church, when Peter said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, based on this revelation, I'm gonna build my church. Yeah, we're a part of that church. The church the apostles started 2000 years ago. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. So we'll confess our Christian faith using the Nicene Creed. We'll pray a prayer of confession and then we'll have ushers who will dismiss you and you can come down here and receive communion. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear someone, you'll see somebody holding a basket of bread and you'll hear them say, the body of Christ broken for you. Believe that it is. Yeah, you might have your questions or doubts. That's okay, but believe that it is. Take that bread and you'll hear someone say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Dip the bread in the cup and eat and know, taste and see that God indeed is good. Stand up with me and we'll put the words of the apostle or of the Nicene Creed up on the screen. And we're gonna invite those of you who are with us online to make this confession with us because we do believe in one, Catholic, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And there's one word of life church, both in person and online. So you're invited to join us. We'll make this confession, we'll confess our sin and then we'll come to the table of the Lord but join me first as we make our confession of faith. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. 
We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now I invite you to join us as we confess our sins together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. And now this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who want him and for those who want him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. It is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. 